Coronavirus is the biggest threat this country has faced for decades. We're seeing the devastating impact of this invisible killer. There will come a moment when no health service in the world could possibly cope because there won't be enough ventilators, enough intensive care beds, enough doctors and nurses. That is the moment of real danger. The new variant is out of control and we need to bring it under control. And this news about the new variant has been a uh, an incredibly difficult end to, frankly, an awful year. And it's important for everybody to act, essentially act like they might have the virus. And that's the way that we can control it together. The way ahead is hard. And it is still true that many lives will sadly be lost. Our advisory group on new and emerging respiratory virus threats, NERVTAG, has spent the last few days analyzing this new variant. It may be up to 70% more transmissible than the old variant, the original version of the disease. You, you might be infectious, and that's the way that we have to behave at this moment. Assume you might be infectious, assume you might be infectious, and that's the way that we have to behave at this moment. Today, the United Kingdom's chief medical officers have advised that the country should move to alert level five, meaning that uh, if action is not taken, NHS capacity may be overwhelmed within 21 days. And it's going to spread further. And I, I must level with you, level with the, the British public. Um, more families, uh, many more families, are going to lose loved ones before their time. Your colleague on stage, John Edmonds, has just sent me a statement saying that as far as he's concerned, this is the worst moment of the epidemic because of the extraordinary inf infectivity of this new strain. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, this is a horrible moment for sure. I just say, as I'm really sorry to hear about your two relatives who died from this virus. I mean, it is a very dangerous virus uh, for many people. We're looking to move to a different regime, so as we come to the fourth step, we will change the basic tools that we have used to control human behaviour.
or after reading that little line, I will be arrested for not taking a fucking vaccine. This is not a fucking joke anymore. This is fucking dead serious. I am fucking dead serious. These people don't know who the fuck they're actually playing with. Yeah, in a group they might come and fucking intimidate me and whatnot. But fuck, they do not understand what the fuck just one person like myself is capable of. They do not fucking understand. No fucking vaccine or MRA will ever flow through my fucking blood blood. Never! I will fucking die fucking fighting for my forefathers and my fucking lineage. Fuck these motherfuckers. God that burgle baby gets me every time I've been playing it for years and <laughs> it's so hypnotic. Oh my goddamn PC's making loads of noise, it's so bloody hot. Alright, uh, what are we gonna be doing? Um so of course we've been um heavily involved in a couple of uh, Twitter spaces in the last few days, I'll say the weekend and uh, yesterday. And Charles and myself figured that um, as well, Twitter Spaces obviously has some uh, limitations, and the um, there's some visual aspects that we want to go over as we discuss um, the nature of uh, biowarfare. I see Shogun Rikasu in the waiting room. Uh, let me just meet him, and um, we'll. We'll dive on. Of course, I remind everyone uh, the stream is only possible because of the support that you people give. Please, 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 please keep us in the game. Uh, links are down below. Go to mccandojo.com. You can find all the links there. And maybe I'll just bring that up on the screen right now as we make the transition real, real quick. Um, but uh, yes, McCandojo. Uh, see that big blue button? Uh, hit that. Uh, or become a Patreon, um, buy me a coffee, subscribe star, cryptocurrencies, all of it, all of it gladly accepted. Right, grift over, let's get into uh, the science, and uh, Shogun Rikasu, can you hear me sir? 
Your mic is off. Says mic off, dude. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I'll just sit here chatting. So, um, you know, the I, I thought the spaces were brilliant. I, I really did. You know, sort of sitting back and thinking about them, and to have them being um, translated in another language. Um, shout out to Dopaminergic Thirteen for to not an easy thing to do, uh, especially when, you know, as you, as you get into the meat and potatoes of the topic at hand, you tend to start spilling out more and more technical jargon. And she, I, I don't know how she was uh, jotting down notes, but she was literally getting it word for word in the French. And... Um, Hello. Yes, we can hear you, but it's a little on the quiet side. Uh, All right, let me adjust. <clears throat> um, how you feeling, bro? How's day two? Feeling a lot better. Good, good. So um, medicine definitely help. Yeah, like I say, you can you can get all spurgy about herbs and <laughs> tinctures and whatnot but sometimes you just need that um that sledgehammer to, yeah <laughs> and um i'm th th this is why i always um I, i'm i don't say i'm critical because I, I i want people to be able to try uh whatever works for them but there's a there's a type of um <clears throat> conceitedness that can come from people who are in robust health and they're just thinking um, that their supplement regime is the uh, is the cutting edge and may, may well be, but um, until something really goes wrong and then um, you need um, yeah other other tools to bear right that's that's how I look at them tools nothing well else. yeah I mean I feel exponentially better i was basically bedridden for several days so um all right so yeah um so I'm, i know you had kind of briefly i think you were talking about the stream that we just did mm -hmm. I, I do think that went really well um i'm i'm really grateful that they're that they're able that we have people that want to translate and and put it into french um, but we, at the same time, it was kind of constrained and well, so it's the format, right? It's not visual. Everything <clears throat> has to be done through speech. There's a, there's a whole tapestry of information that doesn't come through to the, the listener. And we're going to try and address that this evening. Um, I think yeah. it's an important um, topic to drill into people, particularly as I'm seeing the uh, the Kui exchanges continue <laughs> across Twitter, and the yeah. he's spurging. <laughs> well, there's a few others in in his chat, right? And so the last the last one that I sort of uh, responded to his argument was basically, well, if you believe that those things exist they can pull the same stunt again which is the most asinine argument i've 
get to here. It it's nearly that's up correct. There. Yeah, it's nearly up there with vaccines aren't real. Um, you know, it's like no, saying, this is real. <laughs> what did I say? Vaccines, right? Um, yeah, it's a vaccine. Yeah, I wish they weren't real, but um, you know. Hey, did you retweet this? Oh, sorry. Yeah. Sorry, Master. I was on the phone. Yeah, before, I know. So I know, I know. Um, but the, you know, it's it's akin to, um, you know, you get mugged, right? And then you say, well, if I go around believing there aren't any muggers anymore, carrying pistols or knives, I'll never get mugged again. Right? Yeah. <laughs> we ship. The, the, the proper thing to do is to learn to read the situation. You get trained in how to use pistols and knives. And when they come for you again, you make sure you leave them a, uh, how should we say, a, a bleeding mess on the floor, right? Correct. By, by denying the, uh, the technologies that are coming into play and the technologies that have been used, um, of well, to me, you're just setting yourself up. You're going to be the liberal that gets mugged again. And I don't think that's the appropriate um, defensive posture to be taking at this point. Um, you want to add any? Um... Well, I mean, just it, it's time for us to look at this from the correct angle. We've been playing this game where they were calling it a lab leak, but really it should be lab origin. Um, that covers all the potential things that happened. But especially right now, when uh, Robert Cadlick is coming out and saying that it was a failed vaccine from China, um, we need to squash that. Yeah, this is a very, very important um, point. It was mentioned in the last stream, but again, just for people who are listening or didn't get the last stream and without um, having to make the pauses for the translation in this instance, we should we should explain in detail what they're doing and why it's false. And it's what they're, they're pulling the last of the cards that they have. Correct. So, no, I just really want to get into this paper. Um, is there any other like news or other stuff you want to cover first? Ooh, I, I don't know. There's plenty that I, we could look at. Um, I'm. I'm more. I, I'm like you. I want to focus on what this paper means, and then I think we can sort of branch out from that. And right, there are, like I say, there are a number of topics that I, I did have lined up, and maybe I'll, I'll sort of pick ones that um, segue from that on the main topic today, which is what characteristics make up. A modern bioweapon and what characteristics does SARS-CoV-2 tick off on a acad yeah, it's academically and mili militarily recognized 
framework. I think that's a fair way of putting it. Right? Yes. So how do you want to do this? I've got the paper on the desktop. Um, I can share desktop and... Um, yeah. And... So, so <clears throat> uh, first, I guess we should say that... Let me turn this down. This seems a little high. Um, right, sound is coming through good, Brian. Okay. Well, so basically for since we've we've kind of alluded to this paper but we haven't really talked and it's actually two papers and so what we're going to do today is we're going to go through there was a paper written in 2018 that where a group of biological and chemical weapons experts like mili high-ranking military personnel and as you can see like the nato Met biological medical advisory council or something um this was this is basically nato um member countries uh, senior officers from various, from I think the Czech Republic and Hungary and other places. And they sat down and they looked at all of the potential, or the known or potential biological weapons. Uh, there, there were pathogens, you know, so, so viruses, bacteria, rickettsia, toxins. And it's, and, this is quite yeah, the list of institutions. Beyond. Sorry to interrupt, but um, yes, University of Nebraska. We can. I don't know what's going up there, um, but uh, Dean School of Medicine, Uniformed Services, University of the Health Sciences. That's Bethesda. That's um, slap bang in NIH, NIAID, home territory. Um, yes. Directorate of Health Services Operations, Canadian Forces Health Services Group Headquarters, Ottawa, Canada. Um, sounds pretty up there with respect to Canadian institutions. Um, Health, Health Protection Support Command, Netherlands, Ministry of Defence. Walter Reed, National Army Military Medical Centre. Seaburn yeah. Program Office. This one for you, Office of the U.S. Army Surgeon General, Falls Church. Correct. So Seaburn was my MOS, my military occupational specialty. So my job in the Marine Corps was, uh, it was originally called NBC, Nuclear Biological Chemical, but then NATO changed that to add radiological and changed it to Seaburn in like 2007 or 2008. So... It was chemical, biological, radiological, nuclear defense is what I did. And so what we have here is an international group of scientists, including NATO and including our own military health experts. And if I remember correctly, like most of them are, like kernels and, and stuff. And what they do is 
they look at a dozen different attributes of a, of a potential biological weapon, and then they they grade each of them like graded uh, viruses and bacteria like that were on the list in each of these categories and came up with a total. And then they took those and averaged them out and ranked them. And it's interesting in the abstract that they point out the dilemma that we're in right now. Determining whether an outbreak has an unnatural origin can be quite difficult. Thus, the questions remain. Could the causative agents of these and other emerging infectious out disease outbreaks pose a future weaponization threat? Um, yep. This is, this is exactly the territory that we're in right now. And just going back to the earlier point, um, to think that you can ignore this and you'll go back to... I don't know, whatever people were doing in 2019. Just hang out, I don't know, whatever life was like for you. Um, until we manage to extricate ourselves from these organizations, systems, frameworks, budgets, entities, national, transnational, um, they're always going to be a threat. And... I want to know what that threat is, basically. Well, and that's what that's what this is about right here. Um, and basically, I, I read this paper. I found it first. And then I found in PubMed that there was like a sequel to it. And so the same people looked at SARS-CoV-2 through the framework of the things that we're going to discuss, those 12 attributes. Um, and so the goal of, of this for you is just for you to understand what people look for in the biological weapon. What, what would they, what would militaries want to have what would they want a biological weapon to look like and i think it'll be very instructive and um and help it, it'll help us i think this is the proper framework for us to look at this virus so well and um, understand that it's it's not just us two gassing on the internet about what we think right there is an official um line um and again framework that these people are operating with and you know we're lucky to have Charles who has seen how the sausage is made in that <laughs> particular um, domain um, so. well this was my experience. this was my job and I I was chosen I had to be picked selected to become an instructor. And then um, they liked me enough that I became, they made me a warrant officer instructor. And I was the lowest ranking person to ever teach warrant officers. Um, 
so they, they, they liked me. In fact, in my last year, I then also did curriculum development and, and I rewrote uh, two of the three schools uh, curriculum. Well, I, I, we created a new one and then we, we rewrote one of the other ones. So I'm very familiar with all the military publications, the NATO regulations and stuff like that. The, the, um, the USMC Seaburn um, publications expert, the guy who wrote our publications or added to the NATO publications, uh, worked next door. His name is Francis Gill. So, so I know what NATO is supposed to do, and I. So I'm very well familiar with with these types of things. I used to teach this. I I I got to the point where I was trusted enough to rewrite the curriculum. So um so yes, I do know what I'm talking about when it comes to these things. And it's the, time, the, the it's primary, time to, to flex that. Yeah, but and the primary issue here is that um these and this is what we're seeing in public. This is what they're allowed to go out into the public domain. I would imagine a lot doesn't. But this framework is what they've used, I would argue, over the last three years. Now, I would just add this, that they had such a intimate knowledge of how all the apparatus would work together that that in itself can be weaponized that's that's what i would add to this that's why we saw the particularly the five eyes countries they stand out as being as acting very uniformly right from the get-go and you know what whatever their motivations were you can you would be foolish to think that they were all acting spontaneously and it would be work like this i would presume charles that would have been guiding how they postured themselves with respect to the public and themselves as military organizations which leads to the conclusion that very early on they realized that they were dealing with a biowarfare agent that fair assumption well, to make. What I, what I want people to think of is as we go through this, I want them to realize that they knew what to do, but in most cases they did the opposite of what was written here. That's really the, like you're, you're going to see that, that they went against their own regulations and stuff and did this entirely different path. So, Interesting. um, where, where uh, should, where should we look? So we should well, start with the well, 12 so, attributes or. Yeah. So we, so let, well, let's just go ahead and scroll down. Oh, this is just the, this isn't the full article. 
Well, I'm sure I've got it somewhere, but hmm. well, in the meantime, there were there were twelve categories. Um, scroll down, so we'll just blast past that abstract, right? Yeah. Okay. Well, actually, go go back up to where they. They talked about um, how they did. Yeah. So, like, okay. Our matrix included 12 attributes of potential weapon and was provided along with detailed scoring instructions to 12 groups of biodefense experts in six NATO nations. Study participants were asked to score each of these 12 attributes on a scale of zero to three. And the attributes are infectivity. Infection to disease ratio, predictability, and incubation period, morbidity and mortality, which is called virulence, ease of large-scale production and storage, aerosol stability, atmospheric stability, ease of dispersal, communicability, prophylactic countermeasure availability, Ther therapeutic countermeasure availability and ease of detection. And there, so there's a lot of stuff there, but now I, um, I would, I would just add this. Um, it's very much a qualitative analysis rather than a quantitative one where they've taken the, I don't know, for example, the, Binding kinetics and measured the each one of those right at, at advantageous polymorphisms. They've taken a thirty thousand foot view and scored right. it that way, and um, and you know that's that's a valid way of doing these experiments. Look, you get diagnosed with Parkinson's; it's how they rate your disease. Right? You get a couple of neurologists and they'll mark off each of your symptoms. But I'll give you a number between one to three or five and they'll they'll calculate from there and these these approaches do help guide um clinical action and i'm i'll make the presumption that it guides military action in, the, in these yes instances so absolutely and it's not um it's not just one or two people so it was six 12 groups of biodefense experts in six NATO nations. So I wonder how many was in each group. I, I want to say there may have been like 21 overall. I don't know. 21 per group? Um, no, no. Um, 21. I don't know. We'll, just, we'll, we'll, we'll Maybe it's scroll down and we'll, yeah. we'll check it out. Yeah. Yeah. So... talking about trying to differentiate between natural and um, biowarfare attack. Yeah, uh, I, I used to teach about a lot of these subjects right here. So I'm very familiar with a lot of these things, like the, the strategic national stockpile. Um, yeah. Okay, so yeah, for the methods. So there we go, that's 
So for infectivity, it means zero is non-infectious, mildly, moderate, or highly infectious. And pretty much the they use that same zero to three thing for everything. And uh well actually so there, is, there, there is some uh quantification here. So um I Yes, I'm they do they do explain yeah, effective yeah. dose of organisms. Uh which right. is interesting. Um so wow. So, so high... it, there is some quantitative stuff to it, yeah. Yeah, so in the highly infectious, just one to ten organisms is enough to trigger. <laughs> That's funny. Difficult to defend against, but kind of darkly funny. All right, so. Yeah. Uh, now this is just this is the scale. This isn't actually the explanation of each of the things. So, but most of this, yeah. So, what they want sense. is okay for, for for this one that for three certain nearly ill infected individual clinically relevant disease. Um, and then you have predictability. What do you want? You want a short incubation period and or predictable. Um, Morbidity and mortality, if you scroll down for virulence. Um, here, they have lethal as being the high, but that's not what they, like, we, we've talked about in other streams before that that's not what they want. Um, they don't want something that's highly lethal because it's, it's harder to, have plausible deniability. Well, so, just me off the top of my head, though, maybe in some instances, I don't know, you do want something highly lethal. You've got your back to the wall, and some, uh, yeah, sometimes, but for, for something that is going to be a large scale used against a lot of people, you need it to be able to spread quickly. So, okay, and that's so, not going to. So there's some difference here between what they're calling low incapacitating agents, medium, high morbidity, and or some degree of mortality. Now, I think that, that they blur into each other. And I just wonder if they're making a qualitative difference between a chemical incapacitation agent and one that would be pathogen-related that if that's how they've gone about making this category because high morbidity just means you're sick you're incapacitated right right okay so um storage etc obviously if you want to use anthrax you need big warehouses of but you would store them in. What do they call those things? Big, <clears throat> big reactor type vessels. Um, yeah. Well, and and here they they talk about ease of of large scale production. Um. 
this, I would say, you would think you would want to think of the mRNA for this more so than the virus. Um, because um, I don't believe that uh, JC is correct, uh, and that I believe that they they made a virus that can spread, not a, a virus that they had to release in a bunch of different places all at the same time because it couldn't spread. So it doesn't mean though they didn't do that, right? Right. I mean, it doesn't mean that they didn't seed it, but the virus can still spread. <laughs> it's still highly, highly transmissible. Is what we're seeing now. Yes. <laughs> and, and, oh, and, and, and they have an entire category for aerosol stability. And I just want you to know that, uh, SARS-CoV-2 can be stable in the air for more than nine hours. That's the longest they've tested. So like a minimum of three hours, it can float in the air as an aerosol particle. Um, Ability. Well, we spoke about that yesterday somewhat, that SARS seems robust compared to other coronaviruses and physically well it's also able to spread during the summer um yes which we're seeing right now um yeah well oh in that one paper that joanna showed us where it it's um like they were poking it yeah yeah that's what i was talking about the atomic force Microscopy. Oh, oh this you're talking about. Yeah, yeah okay. Yeah. And um it's some for some reason its structure is orders of magnitude tougher than um I, I don't want to say they so bad. I think they just say coronaviruses in general, if I remember the Yeah. In typical in typical viruses. Yeah. It's it has unusually um flexible it's, yeah, high structural strong. Yeah. stability under. I don't know. I don't know what it feels like to be poked by an atomic microscope, but uh, I should imagine <laughs> if you're a small virus, it's uh, um, an uncomfortable process. So, um, yes. So that's again one of those indicators that um, if if they have the skill to be able to engineer that in. Um, which they seem to have done. I mean, I don't know if that's like just luck of the draw that the samples they've made just came out that way, or if there's yeah, I, I don't know, I don't know. That would have to be an entire line of research that is classified, basically. My mind that because that's what be that's one of the seven categories that you're not supposed to do. You're not supposed to make it. <laughs> more stable in the environment so it would be in my mind a very computational driven line of research as they were trying to figure out configurations and confirmations types of proteins to use etc um right. i imagine a lot of computing resources being thrown at something like that um all right so Ease of dispersal. Um, 
I don't. I, it's, they're... Well, the scale here see, seems a little what, funny to me. Um, yeah, this this category um, is based on the assumption that that you have to release large quantities of virus. Um, but that that is also like when people think of this, they think of anthrax. Anthrax is always the biological agent that that gets talked about, and it's the one we get where we get white powder scares all the time at the embassies. And so, but anthrax is not transmissible. Like if you get infected, you you can't give it to somebody else. I mean, well, I, it's, it's possible, but it's, but it's not, it's, it's not a contagious thing. It's all about getting the spores inside of you. Um, and so, but if, if, if you have a virus that can propagate itself, that's, that's aerosolized and, and can, can do that in a natural environment, then ease of dispersal is basically irrelevant because you create something that's highly transmissible and can, and can do on its own. So, so this entire category is basically obsolete. If they created a virus that can spread, that's highly transmissible via aerosol. Yeah, it which just, it doesn't seem they did um, appropriate for trying to describe SARS in this. In well, but this was remember this was 2018, so they weren't trying to well, talk about SARS. Have, they must have been other aerosol viruses that they could have been thinking of. So well, they are. In fact, that's, I did, I did research to, to like, I took the list and then I looked to see which, which pathogens on that list had fear and cleavage sites. I looked to see which ones were spread via aerosol, which ones had DC sign. And so I made another graphic that shows all of those things. And I, I also got the, the basic reproduction number. Is that what it was called? The, the R not, um, yeah. I, I spread. Correct. So, so I did that for all of the pathogens that, that are on this list. As we go down, we'll see. And, Shockingly, <laughs> most of them, most of the viruses have your cleavage sites. So, okay. um, ability, I think, seems. If Mr. Aerosol, I presume they mean by droplet. No, they don't mean by droplet. There's a distinction between droplet and aerosol, right? So, blues would be droplet spread. Um, am I am I misinterpreting droplet nuclei? Contagious via droplet nuclei. Hmm. Well, I don't well, know. That, What's the military speak there that I'm not getting? So, uh, contagious via respiratory droplets. Contagious via that would be flu, droplet, right? 
nuclei. But yeah, that's more that's more flu. But um respiratory droplets come are are part of flu and they're part of COVID. Okay, when you cough, there's droplets that come out, but there's also smaller particles that are aerosolized. And those also contain virus. And typically those aerosols can't if you, if you if they get in you they don't have enough virus in them to spread the aerosol so what makes covid-19 so special is that it it can spread it, with a lower threshold of the number of viruses needed to create an infective dose. And it can do it directly in the lungs. So it's, uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be the lungs. It can be any of the respiratory epithelium where there's a, um... well, it's true because it actually can interact with 28 out of 55, um, human tissues. That's something that Stephanie Seneff has, has written about. So, so SARS-CoV-2 is automatically like number three on this list. Um, Prophylactic countermeasures. That's a phony issue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So this, this is where they manipulated things to, to push the vaccines. Um, so from yeah. a, a military perspective, the, they would have gone for early treatments, right? That they would have had all those prophylactics ready to roll as soon as they think that there's been a release. So that would um, include what's publicly known, and also what they're keeping hidden. And I don't know, you know, my, my mind always does go to the Draco system. That's one that, you know, seems... Well, if they, if they manage to get that really to work, and it doesn't have side effects, and they've hidden that from the public, which they may have done, um, well, it, it, it's not just Draco, it's fusion inhibitors. Yeah. Um, it's obviously hydroxychloroquine, uh, which they knew worked. Um, you know, I've met in all the, all the vitamin D, all, all the normal stuff. Um, so, so with COVID-19, we should have been at zero because or at the most one but but the truth is is that they it's not they say that two of the most viruses would fall under category two but i think that's bullshit because i think whether it was draco or uh you know, fusion inhibitors or, or whatever it was, they had a lot of things 
available and they went out of their way to hide them. So, the so COVID-19 should have been at the zero. All right. So, um, we can be thankful we're in the, we're not in the no known countermeasures available. Yes. That's a blessing. <laughs> yes. Take the wins where you can get them, bro. <laughs> yeah. So prophylactic and therapeutic is basically the, the same. So, um, so we can skip that. Oh, yeah, we can skip that. And then ease of detection. <laughs> yeah. Now, I would, I would say that, you know, short of the other technologies that we do know are in the pipeline, the epigenetic signatures, that there, there was, um, there was technology in place to be able to act as um, action. I mean, should, should you start being cases? I agree that the way that they used PCR was not how it should have been done if they were just letting doctors do the um, the testing. It should have been symptom driven, not um, not population scale uh, testing. But I think right. again, I've, I make this point all the time. If this type of framework kicks in, and they know they're dealing with a um, unknown. Or, or, or a, a agent that's got properties that have been weaponized. It makes sense that you would do the mass surveillance the way that they did, right? Because even high counts acts as a data point for you because you can start to see when that changes, right? So now, should they have been shutting people away with um, high count? Um, positivity no I, I don't think any of that was justified but again um, if, if our thesis is that much of the agreed upon and, and this looking at the organizations involved this is a <clears throat> internationally agreed upon standard across militaries which essentially you know I don't know if they rank up there with the hospitals and doctors as sort of like the first line, but for sure they're ready to roll out should should a worst-case scenario happen, right? Because they'd be there to basically act. Um, well, we did see this in the UK. The, the military was used to deliver tests. It was used to... Um, there was a present presence made felt on the streets, I would say. I don't know about the US so much. There's uh there's limits, it, right? It wasn't there. quite it wasn't quite as bad, but um so I do want to read this this next part. Um because it, it kind of explains in more detail what the, what they're doing. In order to assess the utility of our matrix we asked experts affiliated with the biodefense establishments of, of member nations of NATO's biological medical advisory panel to employ the instrument in scoring 33 different agents, assigning each agent an integer value of zero to three 
in the 12 weaponization criteria categories. The 33 bacteria, viruses, and toxins studied included a combination of classical, i.e. the dirty dozen, emerging and endemic threats. Each of the biodefense experts was a doctoral level scientist with a long history of involvement in his or her nation's medical biodefense program. And all 12 groups of scientists from six NATO nations with robust biodefense programs participated in the validation study. So these were not scrubs. That, uh, that last sentence fills me with dread, dude. Yep. <laughs> me too. <laughs> robust yep. biodefense programs. Robust. Yeah. Um, what a euphemistic uh, way of stating what they're what they're up to. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So. All right. Well. So, so yeah, and then we go to the. So here's to the list. List. Can I get the list in one? No, probably uh, not. Well, I mean, I've got... I, I can send you the graphic that I made. It's a bit but, um Yeah, if you if you want to just... I'll share desktop. You want to bring that up? Uh, I'll, I'll send it to you because... I need, well, I need to get out of this view. Crap. Uh... Um, don't forget remdesivir. Yeah, well, <laughs> we um, haven't got to that point yet, right? Which is um, the issues or, or the the techniques deployed in the frontline medical um, there we go. environment. And again, I would point to the fact that they had known countermeasures and they chose to use well I don't want to say remdesivir was just completely experimental right it's it's it'd been kicking around for quite some time um they'd used it in yeah Africa right um to poor effect but the yes it it, it people on remdesivir died at a higher rate than with it with with Ebola than Ebola patients without remdesivir. So yes, we must mention remdesivir. We must make the caveats of uh, iatrogenic deaths. We recognise all of these as being. Um, issues. Uh, did you send the graphic, dude? I'm going to send it in the chat right now. Hold on one second. Zoom chat or um... Zoom chat? Yeah. There you go. <clears throat> See the. There we go. Um. All, all these caveats, I think, count, but, but, um. The simple fact is that you cannot get round the molecular biology as well. You cannot get round the fact that there was recognized disease as seen by doctors, clinicians, experts in their field. And they were um, 
they could recognize that there was a distinct pathology associated with SARS-CoV-2. Um, a very complex one because of um, the, well, the beautifully annotated graphs here, which is those containing furin cleavage sites. And when he... 25 list of 25 agents uh so let me maybe even 30 close to 30 anyway um the, well, there's there's 33, 33 agents that they did i may have i don't remember if i took out no i don't think i took out well yeah because you can see actually the rank there's 34 so yeah that is all of them but I did, I went through because I just wanted to know. And it turned out that most, most of the actual viruses or bacteria have furin cleavage Or uh, in some cases, like another furin-like proprotein convertase. So, um, so and then... There, there was two of them, Lhasa and Nipah, where they artificially inserted uh, furin cleavage sites in, in papers, published papers. So, just to let you know. God bless Matt Biota and uh, EcoHealth. Yep. Um, so, it seems to me you've missed a trick here, Trogan Rikasu, which is that you what need to... You need a red triangle by your SARS-CoV-2 entry because it also has an SEB-like motif. Ah, uh, true. Yep. Well, so that's that's what's crazy is that um, SARS-CoV-2, its rating would make it... They didn't rate it they made a score, but they, they didn't make a graphic where they put it together, but I did. And you can see that out of all pathogens that could be weaponized, the most attractive and highest potential to be a bioweapon, SARS-CoV-2 places fourth out of 33. And it's the, it's the, it's the only... Well, smallpox it's, it's, is really bad. But, me, but yeah, tell me why smallpox would be ranked higher. Um, because well, I, we... I, I believe they discuss it in the in the paper a little bit. But smallpox is ranked higher because we no longer vaccinate for smallpox. Smallpox was eradicated, and because of that, we've stopped vaccinating. And so now it's, it's, uh, it, it has a lot of bad properties and we, but we have antibiotics and, and things that can stop it, but it, it ranks so highly. Maintain some yeah. technical rigor here, please. <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> whatever. Um, well, so basically it's the fact that the population the global population is no longer uh, 
vaccinated against it. So if somebody were to use it and the Soviets and other people did make variants of, of smallpox, I think, I think they made a chimeric smallpox and Marburg virus. Um, in 1991, I have to go back and look. So, so yes, but they were trying to do really nasty things, but SARS, the, the real takeaway here is that that it lacks the ambiguity though, that imbues these weapons with, um, such military utility, right? If someone, if someone leaks smallpox, we, we've got a fairly good idea where it's going to have come from. Right. There's only right. two stocks that are kept, one in Russia, one in, I don't want to say it's Fort Detrick. I hope it's not Fort Detrick, but some um, U.S. military. Yeah, I, don't, I don't remember, but yeah, but there's, there's only a couple of places and, but, but that's why it's ranked so highly rice and toxin. I believe it's ranked highly simply because it's very easy to make. It's very easy to get the ingredients, but you can go to a grocery store. And and in fact, well, just watch Breaking Bad. They teach you how to do it in that series. Well, I mean, that is true. That that is an excellent series. And, but I had um, people come from Edgewood chemical biological center, which isn't on Fort Detrick. It's on, a base that's close to Fort Detrick, um, but basically under U.S. Amrid, and they came, and they taught our students for every class. We would have a two-day little set aside for each of our uh, warrant officer classes, where they would come, and they would teach us how to make ricin, which is a breach of the biological and chemical warfare. <laughs> Well, they, you know, they would teach us, we would use other, we would not use, um, uh, castor beans or, yeah. So we would use something that was just to simulate, but we would go through the entire process to learn. Okay. When we go into a lab, we're doing, we're doing the site survey and we're saying, okay, what was, what was being made here? And basically to, to understand. So we had to learn like the precursor chemicals. Okay. Is are they working on nerve weapon, nerve agents? Are they working on mustard gas? Are they working on ricin? And so we needed to be able to quickly identify what that was um, because that could have a big impact on, on our, on our response. So, oh, and look, the- Take home for people sitting here listening to us right now should be which which scientific arg- argument and rationale are you going to listen to? One where international experts through years of study, and we're looking at a second paper here. We've jumped from the first paper. The second paper is 2021, I want to say. And they've just done you? this. They've just done the same process that they did with this 2018 paper, using the same metrics, I'm presuming the same teams, and somehow, somehow, 
SARS-CoV-2, which we are very, very suspicious of with respect to its providence, lands in at number four. And you, you can take that information on board and act appropriately, or you can do the denial bit and pretend it doesn't exist. And yep. <laughs> hey, number four ranked uh, biowarfare agent is just something that you can ignore and uh, carry on your merry way. And the... Yep. So the fact the fact that it's one of the most attractive uh, biological weapons, uh, or most attractive pathogen for to be a biological weapon means nothing. Mm. It's just you know it's a random coincidence that it happens to have all the properties that you would want in a biological weapon. Well, uh, yeah, it's just akin, it's akin yeah. to sort of. I don't know, looking at, oh, those property prices are cheap in Kensington, in Philly. Um, I'm going to buy, I'm going to apply a place there. Um, I don't, I don't believe in that chemical warfare that they're doing on the streets. That's all fake and gay. And uh, I'm going to, I'm going to flip my property in Kensington, Philly. And uh, all those zombies walking outside. That's just a figment of uh, people's imagination. They're just pillars of the community. Just uh, <laughs> uh, part of the ambience of the of the neighbourhood. Well, <laughs> no. Yeah. Um, so that's how um, I see it, bro. Well. The bottom line is A, SARS-CoV-2 is right near the top. B, furin cleavage is something that they know a lot about. And magically, most of the viruses have furin cleavage sites in them, the ones that they're interested in for weaponization. And for Lhasa and Nipah, they didn't have furin cleavage sites and then they added them in there and that's happened in the last few years like they're still doing this so so the fact that they would see the furin cleavage site and say oh oh yeah it's nothing it's natural um it has to be natural even though it's an insertion 12 nucleotides it must be natural um, is bullshit because because half of them work in the DoD space. Uh, Ian Lipkin, Angela Rasmussen, Robert Gary, all of these people worked in the biological weapons defense defensive biological weapons research. That's not a coincidence. Uh, to Gabby in the chat, who says the jabs at the weapons, COVID-19 doesn't exist. Let's break that down <laughs> a little bit for you. Um, you need to become familiar with binary agents, okay, and how they would want to propagate these mm, non-COVID, right? So we're seeing all this death. 
right? Or you're, you're realizing that something appears to, to be related to the shots, etc. They're causing harm. Um, but from a weaponist perspective, they, they need and want both. Okay, they need to seed the environment and then they need to the follow-up with the synthetic adjunct, which is what they've done. And the simple fact is that we don't know what the biological interactions are with, some, with people who have been exposed and have, let's say, chronic ongoing infection and their exposure to the synthetic peptides. We don't know what the long-term outcome is on critical organ systems. We looked at a case from yesterday, 38 years old, um, got COVID before the shots came out, developed long COVID, and within three years, he suffered and died from systemic organ collapse. This was not a fat, unhealthy um, schlub of a human being. I've probably still got the um, image story up. So, um, but it's um, by taking the, the binary approach and saying it's just one thing and not the other um, you're going to miss important data points like this one, which I'll bring up right now. Give me, bear with me, scan through my notes. But the, how, how do you get into a state where you suffer from systemic organ collapse when you're 38 years old and a picture of robust health? Prior to, prior to the vaccines being given. Now, was he given vaccines in an attempt to try to reverse his condition? Maybe. Did it make it worse? I don't know. Maybe. But they make no mention of that. Um, God, I don't know. I'll pull some crap as I filter it for <laughs> what I'm going to put on stream. Um, well, I, I, I dropped some more pictures into the chat so here we have um yeah talk people through this whilst i find the um oh i found it already um so before we get into the technical details uh, let me just show yeah. this story again, um, because it's illuminating. Um, there's the individual, again, um, a picture of health, has everything to live for, um, young family, and um, Brandon Gilles, the co-founder and CEO of Luxinus, a company that spe specializes in spatial AI. He's no dummy. Uh, and computer vision passed away August 3rd, 2023, at the age of 37. He'd been suffering from long COVID, a condition that causes persistent symptoms of COVID-19 infection. 
And if we go down to how did Brandon Gilles die? According to his wife, Brandon Gilles contacted COVID-19 in March 2020, developed long COVID symptoms such as brain fog, fatigue, muscle pain, shortness of breath. He sought various treatments and therapies to improve his conditions, including hyperbaric oxygen therapy, intravenous vitamin C, acupuncture, meditation, diet changes. He also participated in a clinical trial for an experimental drug called Ampligen. Despite his efforts, Jill's condition worsened over time and he suffered from multiple organ failures. Now, you know, it, he might be one in a million, but it tells you that there's um, these mechanisms at play. And from a scientific and medical perspective, we would make the presumption that people who have all those symptoms, which they're describing as long COVID, people have that to some degree. Do they have it yes. as severe as uh, Brandon had it? Um, is their biology able to cope with the changes? Um, you're essentially um, handicapped in some form. Are you allowed to say handicapped these days? Does it rank up there with retarded? Um, but Just say retarded. Yeah, well, retarded doesn't quite cover um, this one. And the and look, I don't mind people like Gabby coming in and you know making a statement like it's all just the vaccines. It's a it's a hypothesis, right? It's something that we're contending with, even with people who are, you could argue, qualified or have higher degree qualifications and potential experience around yep. the biology at play who would make the same claim i'm i think the situation is far far more complex particularly when we see that the agent itself just from say it's luck but just within a published framework is used across militaries, um, different militaries. They've all agreed on these standards. And by their metrics, it comes in at number four. And I'm not so sure that um, smallpox would sit above it because it there's so many, in my mind. Yeah. Uh, personally, personally, I think it would be number one. Because it's... It's an it's a virus that can spread via aerosol, and it has several different immune dysregulation functions that are unique that have never appeared all together in the same virus before. Um, I think it's I think it's the best so, biological weapon on that list. Gabby also says. When they fraudulently proclaimed a pandemic, the deaths in Wuhan were labelled as COVID-19. We now have a pandemic. Well, you're making the presumption that um, there wasn't a pathogen involved in this instance, that that was all fabricated. And you, you would have to 
overturn all of the sequencing data, all of the clinical data that identifies SARS, COVID-19, as a distinct disease state. It's not flu has different pathological mechanisms. Um, yes. We have to, you oh. have to recognize these data points. Now, is it a lethal killer? Uh, in in the I don't know trying to think of an appropriate movie. Is it MERS? No. What's the I, I don't know. It's probably contagion? a bit too, bit bit too yeah you know something like Contagion, a more modern movie. But there's a there's a really old nineteen seventies eighties movie. Oh, it's well, just yeah, called yeah, Virus. Yeah. Right? Andromeda Strain. No, not Andromeda Strain, but um, it's just called Virus, <laughs> and. Huh. Um, I don't know, like a plane crashes in Italy and a virus gets out and um, eventually there's just a mm. few survivors left in uh, some Antarctic station, I want to say. But um, mm. it's, look, you don't have to kill to make an efficient weapon. That's, that's the point that we're trying to get to here. And yeah. what what it does is it flips it flips the switches on a whole bunch of mechanisms that come into play apparently mechanisms that have been ignored from a military perspective if we're to believe these papers which which again i would suggest argues for weaponization of the bureaucracies in this instance that they yes they had a or they should have had a well thought out contingency plan it wasn't used and um they went for maximum effect and gabby you have to think about it this way if you're dealing with a binary agent where the aim is long-term incapacitation invalidity you want the virus to spread and then you want to get as many people exposed to the other binary component of the pathogen which would be the gene transfected spike protein that's how this weapon okay. works um, no, no i do want to clarify that the traditional definition of binary weapon has to do with um two, two components being separate and then coming together when necessary to produce a typically that was a there were several binary um, nerve agents, for example, where they they were stored inside the shell, separate, and then, but they they combine whenever they're deployed, and and that actually hits the ground. Um, but but I do think that it's the best word. Or, or phrase to explain what's happening now it, because the vaccine is a binary weapon it's a is a two well it's a two-stage process and if there's no if there's no virus then you don't have the seeding of a lot of people and then the vaccine has less effect so 
you, in this instance, whoever made this wanted it to spread. And it's, we have, we can explain why this virus is, can spread via aerosol. Um, we have all the evidence. So it's but, but, exponentially, it's, it's simpler, it's simpler to just make a virus that can spread than to have a giant conspiracy where a whole bunch of people all around the world are releasing um, the agent in oh, certain oh, places. No, oh, no agent. So that, that, that answers what I was going to say to Gabby's next comment. So it works by using a fraudulent bioagent to introduce a global political agenda called the Great Reset. They succeeded. Now, um, I'll probably agree with you that they got much of what they were looking for in the last three years it's failure completely Absolutely. they they hit a lot of people but in something in a project's the wrong word in a in a um contested com competitive environment where these people are going all in they're putting all their chips in on the great reset you don't think that they wouldn't use a biowarfare agent that ranks number four in these categories, in these objective categorizations of these agents, why wouldn't they? If you think that the the shot is the biowarfare agent, then why wouldn't they use the other component as well? I, if it was yep. me doing that, I would make sure I had a, a, every um, every facet in place. To make sure that I got my, I achieved my strategic aims. So, um, I would encourage you to go sit, go look at some of the streams where uh, we go through the biology, and I tend to focus on the neurological side of it because that's my wheelhouse. But the way that we can find the pathogen in the brain and the disease processes that we can recognize, particularly with respect to um, long COVID and neurodegenerative states. And I don't think all that literature is, is fake. Um, maybe some is, but that's always an issue with science. There are con, con men and women just trying to get grants. But for so many people and so many regions of the world to be putting out consistent results, you know, even in places like, um, oh, what's that place in Brazil? Belafonte? In Belafonte? Uh, Belo Horizonte? Belo Horizonte, yeah. Where, yeah. you know, you saw them struggling to get oxygen tanks because they were so isolated because they're essentially in the middle of Brazil and it's such a big country and the infrastructure is so little and they were essentially stripping welding stores and anything else to try to get their hands onto um, oxygen for people. Um, you know, those... Was that all fake? All those graves were fake? 
um, the fact that it came round and did it again a year later and they had the same problem again a year later um, kind of tells me that um, there is an objective agent circulating in the environment. Uh, let's see. Great Reset is the purpose. The fraudulent existence of COVID-19 was the vehicle for accomplishing that. Oh, like I said, I'm not going to disagree with you about them inst instantiating new social control mechanisms and um, industries, I guess. Um, new ways of comporting ourselves as a society. But I, I think you, what you do when you say that there's no agent um, you, you, you're going to put yourself into a position where you, where it's just going to be easy to dismiss you and your claims about them reorganizing society in this fashion. That's that's the problem. Now, we, like I say, we're in. Do you agree, Charles? That they're <laughs> going for the they're going for broke with these systems. Yeah, I mean, obviously, that's why I've given up. Well almost everything uh, in this fight because uh, is that important? Because whoever is doing this has to be stopped. And in order to do that, we can't pretend, we, we, we can't argue something that is scientifically uh, invalid. We, we still have to have answers. We have to have evidence to prove that they were lying and that evidence has basis in fact and in a factual basis. So um, this this terrain theory argument is has some validity in the sense that it's good to ask the questions because there are a lot of gray areas in science. However, we have millions of sequences, fifteen million sequences. So if there's no virus that can spread, then why do we have 15 million sequences? And, and dead across the world where, you know, I know people like to focus on the U.S. and iatrogenic deaths, etc. But um, there are other places in the world that didn't do things the same as the U.S. And we still saw the same outcome maybe not as severe as the u.s again um i think the u.s was yeah. a victim of its own um per perverse incentives that permeate hospitals well the u.s was the u.s was the heartbeat of this and it was the it was the central node in this conspiracy of stupidity so um yes we got hit hard and well that's because fauci was was there um i also i dropped another picture in there and that's a that's a screenshot from a 1991 uh well from from a from a book written by um, Ken Alibek, who was a Russian. 
he was the number two at, at the biopreparat, which was the Russian bioweapons program. And in the very middle of that page, you can read that one of our goals had been to study the feasibility of a smallpox Ebola weapon. Right there in the middle. And how do you do that? Well, use recombinant DNA techniques and you try yeah, to make chimeric viruses. And that's that's what we're up against. And like I say, if you if you shut yourself off from just one from one aspect of it and let's say you know, so we spoke about this in the spaces that we did. And you're not in the wrong channel, um, Gabby. You're in you're in the right channel because we want to explore all these details. But um, one of the things that we have to be conscious of something called survivor bias, right? Now you can jump in your car every day and drive to work or your supermarket or whatever else you do with your car, come back safe and think, oh yeah, that's uh, nothing happened. I'm safe. And um, my my car and driving is perfect, but in that period, there will have been a number of car accidents, a number of fatalities, a number of injuries that have occurred. And because they didn't impact you at that instance, then you you tend not to think about them as being risk factors. It's the same with um, the agent itself right we're not we're not machines and so the response of one person to another can be radically different and the and the example i give the people if you want a biological example there are some people who just as soon as spring comes out it's misery for them as they're allergic to any and all pollen now i've never had that problem but I've seen people next to me where, you know, <laughs> red as a beetroot and everything. They've got tears pouring down their eyes, etc. And, um, but we saying there's there's no pollen in the air because I don't I don't have a reaction to it. And this is you, you have to bring some nuance into your thinking if you want to if you want to convince people that they've brought about their great reset, that they're instantiating this technological dystopian panopticon where it's full-spectrum surveillance on everything that you do. If you come in and try which to... Which is true, yeah. Which is true, that that's where the technology is going. Um, if you try to argue that but miss the basics, then people are not going to take you seriously. And so it's important that people understand that there's a predator class out there. And it's very likely the predator class which flicked the switch or the pulled the trigger on what it is that we're dealing with right now. And in that instance, that's, that's why it's important that you have every bit of data available to you and you're able to articulate it in a manner that may persuade someone who's still sitting on the fence somewhat. Um, uh, 
see. Uh, well, we can go back to the paper and just kind of finish going through it. Illustrate um, Life just says, my husband's secretary is in hospital now. She did get that jab, Bell's palsy, and now her organs are failing. Look, man, um, I don't know if you want to tell your anecdote about Marines. Uh, well, well, first I want to say that um, that Caitlin uh, died of a multiple organ failure on dialysis, and um, so, so yes, um, <clears throat> that happened to a lot of people. And she was on a ventilator on dialysis. She'd been given remdesivir. Um, but what what Kevin was just alluding to is, and I've said it before, but I'll say it again. I received a phone call from a Marine. Or, I'm sorry, a text message from a Marine. Very high up. Saying that he, what was that? Very high up one. Senior. Correct. And he had he had literally watched, he had observed two people have strokes in one week. One at the Quantico pool, and he and I used to live there and I used to take my kids to that pool. Um and then another one right after a three mile run dropped and they and he didn't know whether or not he was alive or dead but twice in the same week he, he saw people flop on the deck and then we're talking about the healthiest males in the united states <laughs> so some of them we're talking about people in peak physical fitness and they were both in their early 30s i mean i had a story today um, 31 year old tennis player. Did I, did I grab it? I might not. Um, again, very much the situation you were describing. Um, shame. I, I mean, there's so many of these died suddenly things, and that it becomes a bit repetitive and a bit ghoulish to. I mean, I know I make a joke out of it sometimes, but um... yeah, it's it's actually hard for me to watch. Like, I'm I'm I think I'm like damaged from it's traumatic. I mean, I mean, I had PTSD, and uh, my PTSD was the result of of. Uh, witnessing, you know, unnecessary death. And so now we're seeing that on a global scale. And uh, so it, as I've researched, it's been really hard, like mentally, because I'm, I'm researching death. I'm researching people, like things that cause death. 
I mean, there, there were times the when it was... maiming as well, the people who don't die, but are left. Right. And the people who don't die. And I, but I remember when I was doing the, the Wuhan, I was going through Wuhan um, Weibo messages and I was reading them and basically they were cries for help. And they were talking about how, you know, there were some, they had like seven members of their family were all sick. And then a couple of them died. And then they would be begging somebody to come pick them up and take them to the hospital. Um, and it was just, it was heartbreaking. Like I broke down and cried several times because there's more than 600. Well, there's actually more than 900, but 600 um, non-duplicate uh, Weibo messages. And um, I, I was going through them because I was trying to to get a geospatial picture of them, uh, gain clues from from the descriptions. But um, it was heartbreaking. And then now we've spent more time with, with the died suddenly stuff, and it's it's like it's heartbreaking. I can't imagine. And I am putting this down as casualties of war right now. Um, you have to be thinking in these terms. They went to war against us, a, an unsuspecting population. Where you know what things weren't so bad um, prior to this pandemic, despite all the protestations of the the green Nazis and the. Um, rainbow fascists and the religious extremists etc there was things worked you could um yeah there was we had a whole bunch of freedom and a whole bunch of uh good quality ways to spend our time and um someone decided to flip that for their own gain and you know in order to yep. understand what what it is that they're doing, you have to dig into the history. Now I don't know if some uh, called I've forgotten now, um, Gabby. Um, you know we have we have to go back into the historical literature. We have to look at the Malthusians who have their hands on the 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 strings of and levers of power. Where they they've got it into their heads that there are too many people that they want to play God with respect to the individuals that are that were blessed to be here, and um, they it's very obvious by their actions that they don't mind uh, spilling a bit of blood or two, so long as it's not theirs. Right? <laughs> um, yep. there, there's a degree of psychopathy we're dealing with. And the, you know, they're the they're the type that torture bugs and um, anything anything else for just sadistic um, pleasure. Maybe some are true believers. They really, really think that um, the world is on a precipice of uh, catastrophic change if we keep eating steaks. And driving cars and cooling our houses um i'm not so sure that's the case but there are literal people out there that believe it hook line and sinker um there are people out well, there I... 
I, I think that we're going to innovate our way. We're, that's what we've been doing. We're just going to keep in, innovating our way out of these problems. Um, we we had when they they made genetically modified rice, they increased uh, wheat yields, rice yields by a well, hundredfold. Yeah, but you know what? You know what, Rixie? You know what you get? You get the first world uh, types going. Oh my God! The glyphosate, the gene, the gene, uh, GMO crops, what have you? Um, you know. Well, I mean, but they basically they 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 managed to feed people. Plus, technology pulled ninety percent of of the world's people who are in poverty have have been lifted out of poverty. At least until like the pandemic, and it kind of. Um, and now we're um, all heading for poverty. Come on, send some donos. <laughs> feed, <laughs> feed the coons. There's one. I don't know who yes. it's from. Twenty feed bucks. The coons. Whoever whoever sent twenty bucks, thank you, thank you. That was. But uh, we need more. We need more. It's expensive to run these computers, and uh, everything else that we do, and the time. Yeah. Time that we spend putting our expertise to this, and well, and Doc McCarran has a uh, has <clears throat> he's he's got a a new house that that, uh, that they're going to be getting. So, about... well, yeah, it's 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 the house. Um. So yes helps uh, help support this stream help support the uh what is it the tax evading blick yeah tax evading yeah. blicks plantation um we need uh we need all the support uh, we can get yeah um but i'm just thankful you know kevin's been a great host uh since i've been here in japan but um yeah support him he supported me, and uh, and I'm thankful for that. Oh, well, we should, but, all, we should all be supporting each other, right? That's the, the whole the whole point of doing this is, like I say, getting people through. Uh, new house, like Fulmich spending donos on his house. No, <laughs> no, dude. It's another it's another wreck, like I have right here, and. Um, it's just a bit. We don't have room in this house for the kids. They don't have a bedroom, or or bedroom each. And so we've got to try and get a bigger, bigger place. It's just down the road, um, same neighbourhood, just slightly bigger. Um, and you know, there's a safety issue as well. I I sit here in this address, um, calling out deep state, calling out. Um, any and all who have brought us into this situation. I, I, I'm concerned about my family being um, so close. They need uh, yeah. they need physical distance from um, any potential threats. Now, the threat environment, I think, is low in Japan, and I think I can handle anything that rocks up at my front door, but you never know, right? And... Um, the yeah i wish <laughs> i wish we're not buying it put it that way it's uh it's from a bank 
right? And it's a mortgage and we scraped enough together to pay the deposit to get a mortgage, right? That's that's what we're in. So it's not it's not luxury or anything. So um did I buy out that pesky neighbor? No. No, it's just a little bit further down the street. But you know, like I say, the thing the thing with Japan is property doesn't maintain value. And once property is older than twenty five years, the only thing you're paying for basically is the land. And usually well, I, I say usually. The tradition used to be that when young couples got married, they would build a new house that would last them that period, 30 years, 40 years of their marriage. And then it gets knocked down. There's no, there's no real permanent housing in Japan. And so if you're prepared to tough it out here, and it's not easy, especially if you don't speak the language, um, and you've got, well, you, you've got $50,000 spare, you can buy a house outright. Um, but, you know, it's ghetto housing. <laughs> so, for Wicca, I, I can't afford to buy outright. It's a struggle to get um, the money to pay for the deposit. Three years of um, working, doing this. And my wife working as well. And there is a... Um, yeah, there's a danger, especially um, when the book hits the bookshelves and it's, in, it's all in print and not us gassing on the internet. Um, it could step up. And there's still the legal stuff coming down the pipeline. Who knows what's going to happen? Um, Doc's going to be the neighborhood slumlord. Um, I've been thinking about it, bro. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be. I'm not gonna be telling my kids to do what I did, which is go travel around the world and be part of that shiftless international workforce. I'm gonna be encouraging them to buy up all the other ghetto housing, fill it, fill it with spawn. We'll take over. <laughs> we'll have this place. It's mine. It's my island. <laughs> they make balls out of paper oh, in Japan. Yeah. Um, well, I think we should uh, we should at least check back to the rest of the paper and see if there's yes, anything yes, else we uh, want to yes. cover. Yeah, um, kind of get sidetracked. Yeah. Uh, right. So we've done uh, this. Do you want Do you want to bring the figure up or go through the? I uh, just go through the second the paper, paper and its c conclusion. Oh, that's the second paper. Yeah. So you've summarized that paper. Oh, wow. This was 2023. So, uh, no, 22. It, well, it, the, it, probably, it was published uh, online published in 2022. Yeah, it was um, yeah. Put, it put into and the journal. Yeah. Um, but basically, oh. this was the same basic authors. There was a few changes. But... What they did was, well, all they did was look at SARS-CoV-2 through each of these 12 categories and rated it as it, 
to to determine its attractiveness and a pro, its potential to be a bioweapon. And all I did was take the answer, like because they, they calculated and they got a score of twenty four, and a score of twenty four places it fourth amongst all of those different bacteria and viruses and toxins. So um, basically it is a, it's, it's like, it's like a high level, a high quality bioweapon by their own. And you have to think that that just happened by chance just so happened by chance um in this environment no no way and we're still finding stuff out about it right with respect to pathological mechanisms um you know there was the obvious overlaps with hiv but we had that paper come out a couple of weeks ago shout out to maples finding that one but basically showing that SARS utilizes the same mechanisms as HIV with CD4 to infect T cells and your immune system. Yep. And know what the long-term consequences of that are. We don't know what the long-term consequences are of your body spitting out cleaved spike protein from um, the... Transfection. Yeah, the transfection. And it does it for months and months and months. Um, all very unknown. All very suspicious in its implementation. And as um, Gabby was the Gabby saying, yeah. it, it, seems, it seems to be a um, a push push towards um, new new control mechanisms, new masters, etc. And the problem is, as time goes on, people will forget this important step, especially if the control narratives are continued to be pushed, that viruses aren't real, viruses yep. can't maintain um, transmission chains, that viruses are um, a... Or, or can't be weaponized. Um, we we leave ourselves in very very sketchy um, territory at the moment. Elisabeth um, uh, says, "I sent twenty. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> if uh, anyone else sent anything, but um, yeah, I'm on I'm on the 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 bag here. Oh, thank you, uh, Matt and uh, Illustrate." I guess that was the 20. Much, much appreciated. And look, I don't think that there's a stream where you get as much scientific breakdown as well as just the out of goofy shit we pull off all the time. Right? It's um, it's unique well, in that respect. The, yeah, I mean, this this is um, this is my own work putting these pieces together. And uh you know, I'm I'm proud to have because now the, 
what we need to do is we need to move the public discussion into this domain. And that's what they've been trying to avoid this entire time because they knew that there were signatures that would lead back to U.S. research, regardless of who made the virus. And the real way to get them is to understand that they knew when they saw the virus and they knew what it was capable of and they went out of their way to do everything the opposite of what you would do for this virus. They hid therapeutics, um, they pushed vaccines, and they treated it as a flu-like respiratory droplet disease when it was an aerosolized virus. So um, ultimately, the response to itself is a crime against humanity, even if they didn't make it. And that's the point that really needs to be brought home. And that's why the other day when we were talking on the on the French stream, I went through the seven categories of gain-of-function research because I want people to understand that SARS-CoV-2 meets all of those categories. It it is it's it's uncanny, but it is like the ultimate product of gain of function research. But it's not like there, there's one thing. There's dozens of different things in there. It doesn't just apply to the virus as well. We've spent a lot of time talking about the. Um, spike protein. I don't know if you've got that figure handy with respect to um, the... Uh, which one? So the elements that are essentially weaponized in the spike protein shouldn't be there. Epitopes that we know are of concern. Yeah. And um, it was a big it was a big risk to include them when it had been known in the scientific literature that there were issues around these um, particular stretches of amino acids. Yet they went and did it. Again, this is why we talk about it as a combination or binary type weapon. And I don't know how, what the casualty counts are gonna be. I pray, I pray that it's minimal and what we have to deal with is just the, the incapacitation. That you can still work with. If you're dead in the ground, there's not much we can do. Um, if you're still kicking and screaming somewhat, then you know there's interventions that can be made. And <laughs> a case in point is Charles in the last few weeks. Um, there was, uh, you can be proactive about this stuff and um, you can get yourself over the humps and the it's why we're here right we're trying to walk people through this and it's a very very difficult needle to thread because you're taking on both sides you're taking on orthodox science and you're taking on the leery end of the uh, internet spectrum, right? Where 
in their in these people's minds, the Earth is flat. There are no viruses. There are no such thing as biological warfare, etc., um, etc. Et and each each one is problematic. It takes a lot of time and a lot of effort to um, deconstruct the nonsense. And I see that loading. Uh, well, I dumped a couple pictures in there. I don't know if that was the specific things you were talking about, because I have a lot. <laughs> mm. I have a lot of graphics, but um, let's see. We could do this one as well. Book. Um, So a summary of this. I forget. If, I always forget. It's thirty-two or thirty-seven amino acid sequence. Link to spam to Charles' work, please. Um, yes, I'll do that. Um, whilst Charles is talking about this, I'll drop his links. So. Walk us through well, those peptides, please. Yeah, so just within this area right here, this is a consecutive sequence. And within this sequence, there are four things that have never appeared together in a virus. Um, you have a super antigen-like motif. Then you have the furin cleavage site. And then on the, on the other side of the furin cleavage site, you have um, an ENAC motif that, uh, uh, well, you can that, explain. Yeah, it's just an epithelial sodium channel that's there to maintain the uh, ionic or voltage differential across the cell membrane so the cell can essentially do work, basically. Um, I've realized that you can, in fact, add another um, to the list here, Charles, an upgrade to the... I'll let you, I'll let you finish the... What is it? Uh, nuclear localization signal. Oh, well, yeah, that, that's also the furin cleavicider, correct? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but... um, well, if you go to the next, if you go to the next one, it includes a list of, um, like, unique things within SARS-CoV-2. So, yep. So how special is SARS-CoV-2? Um, no other Sarbeca virus has a polybasic furin cleavage site. No other beta coronavirus has an SEB analog sequence. No other coronavirus has higher human ACE2 affinity than SARS-CoV-2. Which came out the gate um, like that. It didn't... Which came out the gate like that, exactly. Yeah. Uh, no other coronavirus has a prion-like domain in its receptor-binding domain. Uh, 
No other virus contains a pine-like domain in the, in the spike protein at all. No other coronavirus has as many prion-like domains in its genome. No other coronavirus has an ENAC motif adjacent to an S1-S2 cleavage site. Uh, ORF 6 and ORF 10 contain amyloid, amyloidogenic peptides. And uh, I think I made a mistake with that statement. Those two ORFs don't even exist in related codes in nature. There are... A few. Six is, of 10 is novel. Yeah, there are a few that, that, that do have that. Um, no other coronavirus can transmit as efficiently via the aerosol route. No other, no other viral spike protein interacts with 28 of 55 human tissues. And then the ORF8 protein of SARS-CoV-2 mediates immune evasion through potently down-regulating MHC1, which is unlike SARS-CoV-1, like the original SARS. So each of these traits would be suspicious, and then I scratched out suspicious, <laughs> but special by themselves. And the zoonotic argument is that, well, yes, but, you know, life finds a way. And um, my response to that was, life doesn't find a way to turn a virus into a quantum Decepticon. So, Someone's asking, can I post the link to this? You mean what's on the screen right now? Um, I can copy it. And, I mean, they're, they're just pictures, yeah. Yeah, and just put it in the Discord chat. Oh, the list. The list is important. Right? Shove that in people's faces when they start saying that there's no... Um, it's all scotch mist. You're all... Uh... And yeah, and I, and I have even more, but um, but most of these are actual tabs within my Excel resource that's publicly available. Like this one, this is, I think this is tab uh, 12, but there's 59 tabs in there. And so those, what those links in the picture are actually, you can click on those and it'll take you to the paper that explains whatever that is. Um, There's a link in this Discord um, in Lab Origin. Basically, I just stopped filling that folder and it links to Charles um, ResearchGate where you can find all this information. Um, yes. Look for Search gate.
but I mean, this right here, this is a very important um, list because it lists out um, all of the unique inserts and they were identified by Pratan et al. and two other groups. And then I went and showed that those inserts, I showed what they do and, or why their properties are special. And all of that is just inside S1. It doesn't include the fusion peptide that, that's like HIV. It's in S2 of the spike protein when it cleaves. So this is an incredible number of of, of bad epitopes that, that they intentionally kept in the vaccines. Uh, what you see is the pion-like domains. You see the HIV inserts. And you see like all of these different little special things. And this is all just an S. This is all just in a 689 length set of amino acids. That's not that it's so unnatural that it's impossible. And they know it, that it could not have evolved this way because it would, no virus evolves to, to have all these different mechanisms that can both attract the immune system and deceive it and, and, and go around it. Um, it's just, it's mind boggling. And also I put on the side, there's a smaller box. And what that is, is that shows how many mutations there are. And it, it shows how many of those mutations were adjacent to or within these inserts that magically appeared. And it turns out that approximately half of them, so approximately half of all the mutations that take place in the entire spike protein take place right in these inserts or next to them. So what that means is, is that the virus is trying to it's trying to adjust to these unnatural inserts. And, you know, presumably, it, and it seems to be losing its pathogenicity, right? And this, this has been beautifully illustrated in the last few days as they've shown that the Wuhan strain was incredibly neurotoxic with respect to the brain. Yes. And as you go through the iterations of mutations, yes, it's still neurotropic. It still gets in the brain, but the impact seems to be certainly blunted as we've come into the um, Omicron phase. And, you know, that's a good thing. Um, doesn't mean it's not going to cause problems. Doesn't mean it's not going to... Um, interact with other 
epitopes of concern, especially if you've been gene transfected. Um, we don't know the answer to those experiments. Um, anyone who says that they do is just lying to you. And yeah. the um, <laughs> like I say, you, the, um, all we can do is present the data, um, tell you what it looks like, and I think we've done a pretty efficient job of laying out how it fits the paradigm of biological warfare. And in the in a in the current environment, you can either think that we're at war and these people want essentially everything from you; they don't care. Or you can blithely try and ignore it and hope uh, uh, hope it all just goes away. I don't think that ain't, it's just ain't happening. Yeah, that is a that is a failing. Uh, it's a, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. It's not going to get us where we need to go. Um, it's important to expose the the machinations and the and the oddities and the, the oversight the lack of oversight and the the tricks that they've pulled as virologists but that's different than saying that the virus itself doesn't exist and so the virus does exist and it does spread and we can track it and we have millions of sequences of evidence that show that it is spreading. Now, the the conditions for how it spread, we we don't know all of that yet. But the point is that we already have enough evidence to hold them accountable. We just do. And it's only gonna happen if people start thinking in the right way, which is that this was a biological weapon. This is not a vaccine. Because if it was, they would have taken out these dangerous epitopes or mutated them. And I know this because I did the research and looked at all these at 49, it's actually more than that now, vaccine studies where they showed where they always mutated out the FCS or removed it. So I did the research and their own papers show that what they did in 2020 was completely against what they knew. Yep. And uh, it's not a good, and it's not a coincidence that SARS-CoV-2 is the number four virus on that list of bio, uh, potential bioweapons. I don't think they would have even looked at it in this detail, come to that conclusion. Like I say, I think if they had, um, it would have been, pushed further up that yeah. list. It'd be number one. And, you know, this was... I don't know if I have the paper handy. I can find it real quick. But, again, um, the amyloidogenic reaction as captured from PET imaging um, just... should just be keeping that in mind. And... Yeah. The... Go. 
Just search. Well, that's what happens when you have 70 tabs open. Yeah, yeah. What can I say? Uh, SARS-CoV-2, amyloid, pet. Just spell amyloid, right? But, um, pet. That will take you to the paper. And um, there it is. Subcutaneous uptake. Now, yep. this, this picture is crucial. Now, it's an N of 1. And we're lucky to have been able to grab it in, wow. the, in, in the way that we did. That someone who was scheduled to have a PET scan for another condition was scanned a couple of days after receiving the gene transfection. And what do we see? The, the ligand that binds to amyloid lights up at the injection site and the draining lymph nodes. And wow. this, these cascades wow. are unpredictable. Now, some people, again, like the hay fever example, will be just fine. Um, it will barely make a dent, but there will be others who struggle. And I... I would wager good money on Brandon was his name, the thirty-seven year old. Um, uh, yeah. I bet you, if we looked through all his organs for amyloid deposits, I bet you that's what we'd find. I can't. I can't think of another way that a thirty-seven year old goes through systemic organ collapse that's not cancer. Right. That would have been diagnosed pretty quickly. It was something that well, they were... It must have been remdesivir. Right. <laughs> and look, there's a, there's a big body count with remdesivir, right? That, that for me, yeah, there is, is. is all part of the there crime that, that's been yeah. done. Um, and if you're, if you're not looking at the totality of the problem and you're, you're hyper-fixating on one thing. You could say oh, we're hyperfixating on the um, disease mechanisms. Well, it, it's, it's, that, it's that which enables us to lead an assault against the people that have done this. Right? We can use yep. the science in this particular instance. Whereas if you're trying to make claims you know, about iatrogenic insult yeah, that's you know the person signed the consent forms when they went in the hospital and they were engaging in hospital protocol and this again yep. this is an important thing that needs bringing up and that's why that Sidel guy needs more recognition for what he did when he said I'm in the emergency ICU in New York, and they're blowing out the lungs of the people who are being treated. Right? It wasn't. They didn't yeah. need ventilation. They just needed oxygen flow, a lot of it. And they actually, they actually needed a CPAP machine. Mm. Yeah, I, I have, a, I have one. I'm thinking of and, getting uh, one, dude. <laughs> just 
Yeah, she gets you should get the sleep study. Um, but it's they could have used those because what what does it do? It just it just provides oxygen, and that would have that would have saved hundreds of thousands of lives probably. And it wouldn't have given them the opportunity to unleash the other component, the weapon. They had to do that. And that's correct. Um, I don't think, I don't think people being in an as horrible as it is in post-viral states, and um, it wouldn't have justified the use of uh, this technology platform, which was used. And correct. they went. They went all out to get it and, and argue the ins and outs of why they want to do that. Um, I know, look, um, Cluckley, uh, Clucky, bless her heart, is just, she's just clamped on to its depopulation. <clears throat> I'm not so sure, right? Well, um, I mean... We don't know why. Um, that's why I've I've stuck to. I'm not trying to find the why. I'm just trying to find the evidence for what they knew prior to, because I think that's the most damning. And but but this is scary. And. That that reaction that you're looking at on the screen yeah. theoretically happened in anyone that received an active batch, right? Some would have received more, some would have received less, and again, the just terrifying. The the amyloidogenic cascades happen in the fire of inflammation. And what do we know about the lipid nanoparticle? It's highly inflammatory. Yep. Um, no, none of this looks good. And, you know, I know the arguments for that they've, vaccines have reduced deaths and um, severe cases. Well, Kevin, it must be true because the CDC said it. Right. <laughs> so. um, look, I'm, I'm not going to be, I, I could think of, numerous mechanisms whereby if you're continuing to get boosted that you could have a less severe reaction and that might just be because your interferon levels are up so high after the and because they're boosting so regularly every six months um yeah that's it's, true it's providing enough of a window to um give the illusion of it having efficacy um is it a yeah. um is it acting like the classic vaccines in in the way that we did understand them no i i, I don't think so and the and, and again what what's the what's the cost here how many how many people have had amyloidogenic cascades kicked off in them because of this type of reaction that 
that can go to the heart, that can go to the brain, can go to the spleen, and then you've got all the autoimmune cascades that would kick in as well. And yep. I think that's, you know, it's a combination of all of that, which is what we're seeing right now. And then we have to deal with the very disturbing data points, which say that it's not going away and it's coming, it keeps coming out of season, right? It's not, it, it's not acting like a flu-like illness in, in the current moment. We're having summer waves, and then we're having winter waves as well. And in in theory, as far as I understand it, it should it should sort of settle into a, a background level, become part of the soup of pathogens that we have to deal with um, as the seasons change. But there's another indicator. Good. But you're not dealing with something um, nature-made. Yep. Or Dabin yeah. says, wouldn't the IgG4 class switch help reduce immune reaction so you don't feel so sick? Potentially. I don't know what the long-term consequences uh, of that would be. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, it, so yes, it will. But that what that also means is that you're more susceptible when it comes around again, because you're you have more IgG four antibodies that are distracted, so you have fewer of the IgG two, and so and the real problem is is that it's a population scale population wide thing, so it's not just one person who has uh, carrying a higher viral load because their immune system isn't functioning as well. It's all of us, because even the people who are unvaccinated, um, they are being exposed to the people who were vaccinated and who have, in general, some immune suppression. So you're seeing all these RSV waves, you're seeing all these flu waves. Uh, I saw today... um... Leprosy. <laughs> Two cases leprosy. of leprosy oh, co leprosy. confirmed, yeah, as uh, yeah. Uh, Pfizer well, there you being go. causal. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so, so yes, this is this this is really bad, and and what scares me is that the ethical uh, the ethical skeptics numbers are still going up. So we haven't reached the plateau yet. Well, and this, this this brings us obviously into this contentious point that we've had in the last week around um, cancer and what's the mechanism. And you know, we had yep. some back and forth with George Webb, who's making very broad and unsubstantiated claims that healer cells are what's causing the cancer wave right now. And as we said multiple times, I wouldn't dismiss it completely, but there's so many cancer oncogenic epitopes and mechanisms that come into play 
just from exposure to spike protein and the virus itself, that those have to be, you have to deal with those first before looking for something like a turbocharged um, parasitic cancer line that they've been able to brew up that somehow evades your immune system. That's, that's the problem we have here. And again, it, it's kind of, if you're trying to have the discussion, even if it's with yourself, right, about how you move forward, um, if, you, if you don't, if you can't pass the scientific data accurately enough, you're likely to um, fall afoul of the traps and, well, terrible fates that they would want from you, right? Um, I'm... It would be easy if it was healer cells. Right. That's an easy problem to solve. Um, yeah, well, um, <clears throat> yeah. I mean, it's. I don't even want to give it like airtime because it's so unsubstantiated. But um, historically, but we already talked about it. Yeah, did it, and yes, did it happen? Yes. Um, so. And actually, you have to ask yourself, made it, why made a good are the no virus people allowed to be on Twitter and they get boosted and we're not getting boosted? We're still being censored. And the answer is that the no virus people are probably being boosted on purpose. It serves a purpose. And, uh, so the Baileys can say whatever they want, but they're wrong. And unfortunately they have a big platform and our job is to uh, change the conversation to what it really needs to be, which is the SARS-CoV-2 is an incapacitating agent by a weapon. With some mortality. It's an actual virus that can spread. Mm. And it's an, and we have evidence for that that we can provide in court and hold these people accountable. So we can't. If there's no virus, then how yeah. do we fix the problem? <laughs> well, you, you, um, you, you remain in know. La La Land. And you just, um, you, you, maybe I'm thinking about this wrong, but, uh, but yeah. And even things like the no virus thing is so, so stupid. I'm, I'm very cognizant of, um, I, I can't hear you. Oh, you can't hear me. Hear me now. No. Nope. Mike says I'm working. You went off. I did. Chat, do you hear me? Mm. Am I coming through? It yeah, says yeah, I didn't change anything, but I can't hear you. Um, it says it's working. I need a sound check from the... Um... Yes, we hear Kevin. Um, it's you, dude. It's you. 
uh, we should ask the Discord. Mm. Uh, I'll call you again. Wait a second. Yep, still can't hear you. Uh, see, hey, what about now if I stop the share? Is that working? No? Obviously not. Can you hear sound from your computer? Any sound? Um, no. Got no sound from your PC. Still can't hear any sound. Right, we'll try and fix it. Maybe, maybe it's time to sort of uh, wrap up. Nope, I don't hear anything. Anyway, um, all right, let me do this. Bam. This Bing. I can hear you. Ah, okay. So, um, you know, we've covered uh, a lot of the disease mechanisms again. Um, I think we've made a very cogent case for why SARS-CoV-2 stands out as being unusual. Um, we've spoken about the totalitarianism that's headed our way um, very aggressively. Um, is there anything else that you want to bring to as before we sign out? It's quarter past two. I'd like to try and get um, Yeah, um, yeah. I, I, think we're, I think we're good. I think we're good. Check if it's an Port. Oh, uh, couple. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, Luke, Jonathan, Vov, that certainly deserves a, uh, a fight the world.
Thank you, thank you, thank you for those that sent a dono. Pan-Arab chads for you all. May you all be strong in your uh, in your jihad. Hi. Your struggle. Mein Kampf. Yes. <laughs> all right, dude. I'm going to hang up. I'll see you tomorrow. Go get more rest, dude. And I'm glad you're uh, getting some relief right now so utilize it well go get some sleep bro all right thanks man yeah take it easy dude all right folks there you go um very uh solemn stream um but it needed it needed saying uh particularly as we're still seeing um this very very bizarre sort of posturing which is um oh it's you've got to look at this one thing um and we've got uh, thousands, thousands of clinical papers showing um, things like are on the screen right there. Bitch. And the, the work that Charles has done, just to lay that out so um, eloquently and cogently. Uh, hello, cat. Right. Hell in the mouth. <laughs> All right. Um, I'm out of here, guys. Take care. God bless. Um, I want to do. Um, I want to look at Robert Malone, and uh, of course, we're going to have to take a look at Porton Down at the moment. They're uh, they're in the news as well. So, um, maybe in the morning, a few hours from now. Take care. God bless. See you. In the next one. Bro, you don't know how angry I am. You do, I'm like, I was just leaving for fucking work. You do not understand how fucking pissed off. After reading that little line, I will be arrested for not taking a fucking vaccine. Fuck these cappers. I will fucking kill each fucking capper. I swear. <laughs> this is not a fucking joke anymore. This is fucking dead serious. I am fucking dead serious. These people don't know who the fuck they're actually playing with. Fuck these cappers. No fucking vaccine or MRA will ever flow through my fucking blood, blood. Never. I will fucking die. Fucking fighting for my fucking bees and my fucking forefathers and my fucking lineage. Fuck these motherfuckers. All them five. This guy. Send 10.45,000 to turn this. Let up! 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 Let